underestimate the power of PlayStation. Beyond. 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome to Podcast Beyond, episode 312. We've lived through 311. Yep. We made it to the other side of 311. Yep, yep, yep. Now the countdown to 316 begins. Okay. And I'm very excited for yeah, the Stone good. Cold Steve Austin podcast. Yeah, yeah, I'm one good. of your hosts, Greg Miller, alongside. He only does everything, Colin Moriarty. Hello. Greg, we have a good one today. We, we have a weird one. You went. I, I I left the podcast for one week, and I come back, and you, you killed Goldfarb. Yeah, no Gold more Goldfarb, and now you got a million people in the office. Yeah, so uh, you know, I like indie games a lot. Of course, indie games that we don't even really know what the fuck that means anymore. But uh, I talked to Sony about getting some indie devs in here, some indie devs we really like, and we like their games to just talk about the situation with Sony and working with Vita and PS3 and PS4, and also their experience working with some other indie games. And we're going to do like little twenty minute interviews with oh, everyone. So Starting, it's a special podcast beyond today. It is a special podcast beyond. Do, we have. Do, 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 and we're starting off with a great, with one of the greats in the indie scene. I think, person I've known for quite a long time, a great guy, Mel Kirk hey, from Zen. One of the greats. Like, one of the greats. Okay. Yeah. I'm about You're to like fall You're like the apart. Joe DiMaggio <laughs> yeah. of indie games. So, so Mel's from Zen Studios, and you know Zen Studios uh, for a bunch of games, but I think Zen Pinball, yeah, slash Pinball FX, I guess, right? Well, everything. Yeah. Marvel Pinball, Star Wars Pinball, yeah. Pinball, pinball, pinball Pinball there. Yeah. But other games too. You guys did just did Kick Beat. We were just talking about that before the show started. I refuse to talk about those. Uh, you just don't want to talk about anything. Just, just pinball. pinball. Um, and you know, you know, we've been working with Zen for a long time. Um, you know, talking about the the pinball games and stuff like that. And and um, you guys are still a tiny studio. So I mean, tell us a little bit about your studio first of all, and how many people work there, and what you guys have kind of going on. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it's crazy to look back now um, at the last I don't know eight years really and see where we started and where we've come and uh, what we kind of saw coming and how we took advantage of that. So I mean, we started as a work for hire studio. It was four guys uh, in Budapest, Hungary, of all places. And uh, just a hotbed of indie game development. Yes. <laughs> exactly what you think of. Uh, and like I said, work for hire, um, doing tech uh, and engine work, uh, writing code for games that needed help, uh, media assistance and whatnot. And uh, did that for a few years, gained some experience. And then XPLA came on the scene and PSN came on the scene. And suddenly uh, we kind of saw the opportunity to say, hey, we could stop working for other people and work for ourselves mm -hmm. and uh, maybe come up with a game concept, an idea, get on one of these digital networks mm -hmm. and um, see what happens. And uh, the founder of the company, a guy named Jolt Kagoshi, uh, pinball junkie, one of those guys who spent <laughs> just pockets full of money in arcades and just diehard pinball guy, had our machines in the office, says, you know what? Uh, there hasn't been any good video game pinball in years, um, you know, with the exception like Space Cadet was the table everyone right. was playing, like Windows ninety seven at the time. I think. Yeah, I love Space Cadet pinball. Yeah, hey, we might might do a rehash of that. You yeah, know. yeah um, that'd be great. Every and, time you uh, mention any kind of pinball around, yeah, we or any do property, it. anything, yeah. there are it's exactly. already, it's already oh, happening. It might be it. happening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying anything, but. Um, so we got we got Pinball FX done. Microsoft published it. Went up on Xbox uh, Live Arcade, and uh, did way better than anyone was expecting. Uh, we kind of took that same concept and made Zen Pinball out of it uh, for PSN, which was actually the first place we self published. That was better part of five years ago. Sony was already saying, "Hey, sure, little developer, you want to control your own destiny, publish your own game, like try it," and uh, and we did it. And um, I don't know. Here we are five years later. We've built a pinball empire, if you will. Uh, we joke because nobody knows how many tables we've sold, but it's a lot. Um, Castle Storm, Kickbeat, making other kinds of games. The company is totally self-sufficient. We've self-funded. We're not relying on anybody to like tell us how to do our job in the day. We just wake up, figure out what game we want to make, and off we go. 
Cool. So the one fascinating thing about, I think, Zen Pinball more than anything else is you guys are a small studio, but you work with these huge companies to, to get you know exclusive rights to their tables. Uh, and you worked with uh, – well, you're working with Marvel, I guess, for, for now the superheroes and for, uh, I guess, uh, like Disney and now for Star Wars and Lucas back in the day. Um, so, like, what is it like little little guys like you working with these huge companies to kind of extract these really valuable IP out of them to make tables? It's really funny, and that's such a huge question. Uh, it, it's So <laughs> there was a lot of stepping stones to get to those points. You know, I mean, we started off with our own original ideas, and then we worked with – like Capcom was a big company to us. Uh, we were like, oh, my God, we're going to work on Street Fighter, Street Fighter Pinball, <laughs> which turned out awesome and uh, led us to other things, eventually like with Marvel. And uh, and we did a good job there. And we always wanted to work with Star Wars and LucasArts guys, but it was kind of like, yeah, you guys – you're a small little developer from Budapest. Like you come back and – Get out of here, kid. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never make it in the Star Wars world. <laughs> That's pretty much what we heard. That's what George Lucas yeah. sounds like. <laughs> now, George is just like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. uh, so we, I don't know, we end up doing it in like, you know, we have a little bit of like business help. Uh, we hire um, a, a business guy to help us like negotiate the contracts because none of us are lawyers and we have no idea what certain clauses mean. But you get to a certain point, give the contract over. Okay, this deal is going to make sense. Um, you get it done. And then you go to work and like, you know, when you get all these assets handed to you from Star Wars and these big packs of stuff and you're just sitting here like in this little dream world and you're, you know, and you're thinking like we have a lot to prove here, like being able to, to work with these guys. And um, once you start working a relationship with them, you almost kind of fly under the radar. Like I hope they don't hear this, but we get away with stuff that probably like EA uh, is not going to get away with. Right. And um, because we're, we're not like this blip on the radar to them, but I mean they've got way bigger personnel and like, layers of people to deal with on like EA so. you're like the Millennium Falcon stuck yeah. to the underside of their Empire ship the Empire exactly. ship that's yeah. exactly I what it was come on give me something <laughs> for somebody who doesn't like Star Wars that was a great reference yes, it was, it was not Star doesn't Trek. like it but doesn't know it like you right, do you right. fucking nerd but yeah but working with these big brands like that and companies it kind of paints this picture like oh if you guys have a Star Wars license or a Marvel license you guys are not this small indie developer or publisher anymore but um, it couldn't be further from the truth because uh, <laughs> no, we still are. <laughs> we are. I mean, like I myself, like I just got a new title. It's um, pub- I'm in charge of publishing, but all that means, yeah. Thank what you. a promotion! <laughs> I still send out codes to everybody. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Yeah, <laughs> that, we, yeah, most, yeah. That, that takes up most of my time. I'm always sending you guys. Co- here's code. Here's a code, right? <laughs> um, but you know, I'm like sending you know the assets and the table designs to make sure they like it and coordinating between our our guys in Budapest because the time changes off. And I'm coordinating the release dates with like ten different platforms. Platforms, you know, everyone from XBLA, PSN, like Amazon, Google, mm-hmm. like, okay, we got to come out on this week, uh, let's shoot a dart at the dartboard and see what happens and, and coordinate all that. And then we got like our community and we're like doing Twitter and just all these little things are falling on still on this little tiny team. And like our developers are working around the clock to like try to make this happen. Because in order to do something like this, like Mar- LucasArts and Marvel, they have expectations. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, we just step up to the plate and see if we can do it. Cool. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, one of the other questions I have is that, you know, you guys, you know, because Zen Pinball is synonymous with Zen Studios, you did mention that you have Kickbeat and you have, you know, Castle Storm and, and maybe some other games that work. So tell me a little bit about those games and maybe what you guys are, are kind of shooting for in the future outside of the, the pinball realm. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, the company did not want to just be pinball forever. Um, you know, didn't want to get pigeonholed into that. Like we do that really well, and we love the space, but we had aspirations much larger than that. And um, our creative creative director Neil Sorens, um, he has he's just a brilliant guy. Had a lot of great ideas, and literally a book full of game ideas. Wow. And so we just paged through that, and we kind of picked a few concepts which we felt like our studio had um, maybe some experience in, like Castle Storm is very physics based. Pinball, very physics-based. Um, now, kickbeat didn't fit into anything for anybody at any time. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't know anybody who would have taken that one on. But we, but we just said music games. Yeah, we like music and um, kung fu, might fighting theme. Sure, like let's just take a shot at it. And uh, and so we set out on these projects. Um, each of them uh, a long time ago. They, they both took a long time to do. Um, but we, uh, you know, it's just. We said we could either roll up our pinball money and, like, save it for rainy days and make pinball forever, or we could take a shot and go for something that we want to do and, and make games that we want to make. And that's all it was. We just went for it. Cool. So I guess my question would be, you guys have been, like you said, already working with PlayStation for a while. Did you see it coming that they were going to put such, uh, you know, importance on indies this time around as we led into, you know, PlayStation 4? Because it's one of those things, they've been working with you a long, long time and letting you do whatever you want, but now that's like they're, they're waving that banner and Adam Boyce is on a golden horse just riding to every oh, indie studio. <laughs> you know, I played Flashlight Wars with Adam at uh, Gamescom. Yeah. It was like last year before last. And uh, I think that's when, the, when I shined the flashlight in his face and I said, Indies. I think that's when the light came on. <laughs> <laughs> now you know no. got you indies. Um, I think that they they recognize that um, the indie community, um, games and players, uh, was one of the main focal points or, or issues that was going to separate maybe um, on a competitive level uh, one console versus another. And <clears throat> there was so much innovation coming and, and people wanting to rally around the personalities behind the games, not so much the publisher or even the developer company names, but they, they people want to buy games from like John Blow or from Tim um, Tim Schafer. You know, I mean, it's not necessarily like the company more. And so I think Sony realized that they could get some of these key personalities on board. I mean, this would become a champion for them and like lead the way for them. They just have to sit back and be like, make a good game, and we're going to put you up front. And it's a smart move on their part, but also, I mean, that's where the good games and the exciting stuff is coming from. So. I think it was really smart. I don't know that I saw it like coming necessarily, but I just think uh, they were there at the right time and they saw, they saw it was a good move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have you been dealing at all with uh, Microsoft and Xbox One? Are you guys going to also work on that console? And has there been like major differences in working with the two companies? Yeah, we are. Uh, I mean, we haven't announced formally any projects for next gen stuff, but we are working on PS4. We are working on Xbox mm-hmm. One stuff, um, definitely. Um, we're, we are going the indie route with Xbox, which is going to be a change for us because we've uh, traditionally been first party with Microsoft. Mm-hmm. I mean, they published Pinball FX in uh, Pinball FX 2 and Castle Storm. And um, our next projects are going to be the indie route. Uh, we have a great relationship with Chris Charla, who's running the, the indie show up there. And um, I feel like their program uh, is, is really uh, well-suited for a company like Zen Studios. Um, I don't know how well it'll be for, like, two-man studios or three-man. We'll we'll just see. Like, nothing's been proven yet. But for Zen, it was definitely the right choice. Um, And it was kind of weird. It was like, are we breaking up with you guys? Or, you know, like, (laughs) We're taking our relationship to another level. Yeah, and that's really what it felt like. They kind of were like, Zen, we want to give you guys more freedom. And if you're in first party, it kind of restricts you. And we kind of – we're, like, to the point now where we don't necessarily need – 
that first party assistance to like do what we need to do. If you so. love something, let it go. Yeah, it'll come back. It did. It'll if it's meant, you never know. Yeah. yeah. If you see us publishing a game with Microsoft, it means maybe uh, we didn't do so. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this any stuff sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and how about uh, have you guys been courted or are interested in working with Nintendo on an, on any indie stuff? I mean, I know they're trying to kind of open up. You know what's really funny, guys? We are the leading indie developer publisher on eShop. Really? <gasps> we have the most games out of anybody. I don't think I even knew that. Yes. What I've never opened the eShop. We've got lots of pinball. Okay, there's oh, lots well. of pinball there so far, but there's uh, our other titles are will be coming to eShop eventually. Nice. Um, but just number of SKUs and amount of content and all that stuff. Interesting. Yeah, we are, we're the number one. I had no idea. Yep. That's, no, that's cool. So you guys, so it really makes sense for you guys to democratize as a war and go yep. to as many different places as possible because you are still a small studio, but the money is... Our vision is our game's got to be everywhere. No matter what device you play on, where you play, how you do it, we want you to be able to play our stuff. Cool. Well, see, so you say that, and what's cool is that you know how it ties together. The fact that, like, you know, you're doing, obviously, cross-buy, cross-play kind of thing as far as, like, you know, you buy tables on PS3 right now. They're available on your Vita. But I know you guys have been big on that for everything. Since the very beginning. And if we could, if we could allow you to buy one table and play it on every device you have, we would we would gladly do that. But sadly, I mean, there's just no way that will ever happen. But Sony's made great strides. PS, you know, PS3 and Vita, cross-buy and all that stuff. Like, as soon as they said that they were doing that... Because we, we try to think about how we would like to be treated as players. That's the way that we release games is mm-hmm. how do I want to be treated as a player. And uh, it just made perfect sense. And there's no reason not to do that. Cool. Perfect. Well, well let's leave you with this question then. It's kind of a, an open question. But what does the future hold? Um, what, what do you – where do you see yourself in a few years? And, and uh, you know, we can expect more pinball, I'm sure. But, you know, can you give us a, a taste of something you might be doing other than pinball? Yeah, there's there's definitely more pinball. But it's funny. We, we always have these conversations, and, and like I think it's some of the business minds and some of us were like, well, what is our brand, and what should we be doing? What are people going to expect from us? And we just sit there, and we say, that is just the wrong way to look at things. Like Being predictable is stupid and boring and like just another way to pigeonhole yourself. So we actually have game concepts that we're prototyping and probably greenlighting now that are have nothing to do with anything we've ever done. Totally what we feel like original ideas, maybe more of these kind of genre mashups that Castle Storm really turned into a kind of a genre mashup and uh and i'm really excited i think we've got really good talent a lot of experience now with the guys who've been with us now for like i said eight ten years um our core technology is very good our engine allows us to build a game across all these different platforms simultaneously linux-based steam os shout out maybe yeah, <laughs> shout out. Um, so i think that i think it's exciting and we might not fit that traditional indie mold what everybody thinks of indie right now like the two-man teams or like five and even to ten but we are independent thinkers. We don't let what the market's doing dictate what we're doing. We look out and just say, you know, that might be an opportunity. We need to be on that platform at this time. That's the goal we need to shoot for, but not like the game type we need to make or anything like that. We just sit there and say, you know, what's going to keep us excited, and that's what we're going to do. Perfect. Mel Kirk, thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. On uh, Podcast Beyond. Now, now, Mel, you need to sing us into the next, the next interview. Who's, in, who's next? It's, uh, Danny. yeah, Danny Johnson from uh, Gaijin Games. Oh, Bit Trip Runner. <laughs> Bit Trip Runner. I love you. Yes. Oh, that was, a, that was a lovely song. Yeah. He's such a, such a great singing voice. Yeah, Mel Kirk's a good singer. Colin. Yeah. Who are you bringing out of the black hole now? <sighs> Danny Johnson. Woo! Danny. Danny Johnson, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Hi, hi. Get right up on that mic. Get right up on the mic. Don't get comfortable with it. Come on, beat it around. And Danny, where do you work? Uh, Gaijin Games. And what do you guys, what, what do you That's know That's a racist for? name. It is uh, a racist, very racist name, huh? It's, huh? Uh, you know, debatable. <laughs> but uh, 
Uh, we're known for the Bitrip series, most recently Bitrip Runner 2. Cool. Uh, yeah. So tell me a bit about the origins of your studio. Uh, I know you guys have made a bunch of these uh, Bitrip games and also a couple other games, but where do you, <laughs> where do you guys... Uh, where do you guys come from? And, and you said and it like a like a disappointed parent. I know you, I know yeah, you've made yeah. a lot of these games, but when are you, when are you gonna <laughs> get a real job? No, no. I mean, <laughs> God, you're reading into the. I mean, hey, uh, I'm just doing my my okay. due okay. diligence. Okay. Yeah, it was great. We started out as a little company in uh, Santa Cruz, and we pitched these six game series of Bit Trip. Um, we didn't really know where it was gonna go, and we put it on the Wii, which is you know this up and coming thing. So we didn't know how that was gonna work out, and it worked out. Pretty well for us. The Wii, <laughs> the Wii kind of uh, the eShop was a little weird for us, but uh, I think fans came to find our games despite that. The Wii sold a few units, so yeah. I'm sure it was helpful to be on that platform. Randomly, people probably accidentally downloaded it. Get it right to your face. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesomely yeah. awkward. I loved it. <laughs> That's what Podcast Beyond's motto: awesomely awkward. Uh, so this is a PlayStation podcast. Of course, we talk about all sorts of games, but you know, and so you're on you know different platforms, but. Uh, recently, Sony has had this very indie-friendly mantra, which uh, they've been, you know, beating the drum on. How has it been working with them to get some of your games over to their consoles? And, and is it is it any different in your experience from working with the other first parties? Uh, I mean, they've just been super supportive. Uh, I mean, it's it's sort of hard from to say from the my side of things because you know bosses come in like, all right, we're, you know, we're putting this out on you know. PlayStation 3, it's like, all right, whatever. Everything. <laughs> <Make> it work. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, they've, they've, from what I can tell, they've been very helpful in getting us whatever we needed. And, like, you know, one day just a PS4 dev kit showed up. And we're like, oh, okay, that's a surprise. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. That's it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the story. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't deal with them a whole lot. Uh, First, first hand, but actually their their PAX party was awesome. <laughs> I could say that. <laughs> they had a lot of great indie developers there, and it was uh, an awesome way to get to meet. Yeah, them, I liked that so. one a lot. That was that was fun. I was at that one. Oh, yeah. PlayStation Hearts developers one. They had mm, a whole bunch of stuff. Mm, mm. Adam Boys got up there. He talked. Cool. Adam Boys likes to talk. <laughs> He's oh, a good man. talker. Yeah. He's a good talker. <laughs> Uh, so how's uh you know Runner Two seems to have been kind of a, a bit of a phenomenon with with a lot of people in, in the in the industry. There's a lot of people talking about this game, and mm-hmm. um, are you guys pleased with how it how it's done? And and uh, yeah, I mean one of the greatest things was we kind of hit all the platforms. So you know it's doing okay on all the platforms. We all combine, it's it's doing pretty awesome. So I mean we're just happy that you know people are so excited. I mean we we're just absolutely blown away like when he was getting nines and stuff we're like uh i mean we know it was a pretty cool game but like we didn't think it was that cool <laughs> well, you're or, writing uh, letters to the journalists and you're like seriously if you seriously. want to reconsider yeah. the nine we're totally okay yeah with that. you're overrating our game stop it <laughs> <laughs> exactly so i mean we were just kind of totally blown away by that and all the fans reaction and everything it's just been uh keeping us going so i was happy about that is there gonna be more in that in that series uh we're probably gonna take a break on uh bit trip at least for a little while. Um, you know, it's still kind of our baby, so uh, we're not going to leave it forever, most likely. But uh, definitely we've been, you know, along like three or so years on bit trips. You know, it seems like forever, but, uh, and, you know, we've done like six or seven games in the series. A lot of companies, you know, spend five years on one game. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of weird from our, you know, small point of view, but uh, we're ready to kind of move on and do different stuff. Cool. Uh, I guess. Uh, 
I, I guess like one of the, the questions that you know I have for you is is you know because we were talking a little bit about with Mel Kirk about what it means to be independent in an mm-hmm. indie studio and Zen, you know Zen Studios is actually kind of a big studio now but I mean they're in they're technically independent right. but Insomniac Games is technically independent too and they employ <laughs> you know 150 people so what does it mean to be an indie dev uh, to you is there like a certain size or a certain mentality or uh, I mean, I think it's definitely kind of a mentality because I mean, even for us, we were we had a publisher for our first six games. So in a sense, some people would not even call us indie, even though it was three people at so the very beginning. So yeah, you're we're kind of phony, <laughs> phony indie. Um, so, but yeah, it's, and then it kind of just became like a spirit of indie of kind of making these weird games you do whatever you want and i mean it was great because with our publisher at the time they let us do whatever we want so we could kind of retain that indie spirit of just freedom to create kind of our own thing And i think that's really what it's all about is having your your own decisions be able to come through uh in the end um instead of like being handed down like all right we're making a zombie games guys so uh could you ever see yourself going to development like that back to like you know a triple a yeah, studio where I mean, you are getting just all right work on the bushes for this level yeah Thanks, bye. i mean it would be very tough because like at our company we're, we'd like do all sorts of things like i'm like mainly kind of a designer level designer but mm-hmm. i'll do like art stuff or sound stuff when uh the need arises so i mean it's it's awesome being able to do that and swap around that you know working for a couple years on the same exact thing would probably be pretty pretty hard at this point (laughs) (laughs) what do you think the ecosystem looks like in the future i mean i what i noticed when i was at gamescom was um i don't want to say a lot of germans (laughs) which was surprising (laughs) to me um but what i noticed there was almost a distressing reaction to that conference which was there's too many indies now the, the, you know, like there's, there's where are the yeah. AAA games and during during yeah when you were there covering it during the press conference there yeah. was like oh indie station so much indie station here I'm glad <laughs> I'm spending four hundred dollars on indie yeah station. and I, I didn't really understand that because a I was getting excited that we still don't know what the first party and big studios are doing right. because they're obviously doing something but that we have all of these great games to kind of keep us busy in the meantime so I'm wondering how do you respond to something like that but moreover like what do you see the mix being between whatever this indie developer yeah. movement is and like the Activisions and EAs of the world making their $100 million games. I mean, it is it is sort of a, a mind-bender because like you can't, you literally can't keep track of every game that comes out, especially, you know, from all these indie studios where in the past, like you knew of all the AAA games, like you understood what they were, but now it's just like games coming out all over the place and you don't know what's going on, you don't know who these companies are, so uh, it's tough to keep track of. But at the same time, it's like you have so many more choices. Like, what's really there to complain about? But uh, and I think why uh, you know all these indie games are you know really helpful for even the console systems is they're kind of like this filler between all these huge games because you know you can't always play these you know fifty-hour epics. Like, you kind of need a time to like sit down and play this really creative little you know five-hour game. Oh no, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> But, I mean, I think you could also, you know, exist solely on indie games. Like, I don't think uh, – I think we're getting away to the point where these indie games are sort of substantial enough that, you know, you could just play those. And, you know, if you don't really care for Call of Duty, then you don't have to play Call of Duty anymore. So Cool. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with that, by the way. PS Vita specifically – Everyone criticized it for being this indie haven, and I'm like, that's they promised yeah, us console that's... quality games, and we only <laughs> we got have those charted. every once in a while. But like, it's I like like you know jumping from like Hotline Miami to you know like just 
from indie game to indie game, it's it's kind of been cool. It, it it's actually refreshing when you turn off your PS3 or Xbox and you're right. Like, you're getting a different experience yeah. in a different form. Yeah. And like it, yeah. what I want out of a handheld obviously is different than what I want out of my PS3 and soon to be PS4. And that's why I think Hotline Miami yeah. works so well, right? Mm. It's the fact that yeah. yeah, I'm on the train. I only have. 10 minutes to play so like, in, in, as hard as those levels are yeah. <laughs> it's not enough time but it's enough time to develop a strategy and get deep into it right 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 but I mean you also have like these you know big Vita games that will come out like uh, like the first Call of Duty whenever, whenever that came out and just flopped and yep. it was just and I'm sure they spent a lot of time and a lot of money on that game but uh, it helps much more to have all these smaller games where you, you know if something doesn't work it's you know put out another game sure. it's like you're, all your eggs aren't existing in one basket that's a good point yeah. cool that was deep yeah, it was. Uh, so, what are some of the um, like the indie devs or indie games that you guys are kind of, or just maybe even you personally are looking at these days that are kind of inspirational that you you kind of uh, like? And I mean, our our office constantly talks about Splunky. Like this <laughs> that day. is a, the, one of the biggest things right now. Yeah. I haven't started playing. I need to get into. Yeah, it. I mean, it's it's kind of funny because it's. Uh, Oddly, I don't play like very hard games, even though our games are very hard. Um, so, like a game like Splunky is like tough for me to play, but all the other guys at the office are, are really into it. And uh, I don't know, of course, all our you know Steam libraries are huge, just from all these bundles and whatnot. And I was <laughs> well, just for like, five dollars, I'd be stupid not to exactly. Buy it. <laughs> and like yesterday, I was just like checking out my you know PS Plus games that I downloaded and haven't touched mm-hmm. yet. So it's like. I don't know. There's there's all kinds of stuff out there. <laughs> too many games, Colin. That's the problem. There too are there are almost too many games. Well, you know, like, like you were saying, like it, it was, when we were kids, and we were playing NES or SNES games. Like you really could keep up with yeah. the major releases, yeah. and there and it was hard to get a game. You know, making cartridges was expensive. Like you couldn't yeah. just put you know a shitty game on it. Well, you could, but you know, yeah. there was some sort of quality control, and there was a monetary investment. And now, seal the quality. Yeah, that the seal of quality. <laughs> it really meant something. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, before I, uh, well, before Greg asks you to sing us out into, into, uh, into super giant, uh, games, which will be next up, uh, I have to ask you a question. Do do the glasses are green, which I like, I like the frames a lot. Does it intentionally match the shirt that you're wearing, which is also like, do you have different frames for different, different shirts? Uh, no, No. I suppose I have. I guess our, our logo actually matches the shirt, oh, yeah, too. He's taking his shirt, guys. I, had, I noticed this today. Nice. Look cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So. Cool. I was hoping that you were, like, Have so... Have you ever thought about doing that, everybody in the room? I've thought about getting, like, reds and then red Converse <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then pairing them up when I do day. stuff. I almost got white frames because I, I like that guy in uh, uh, MasterChef. Billy Joel. <laughs> Billy Joel, right. The, the, the great <laughs> chef, Billy Joel. There's, like, a uh, uh, Graham Elliott's his name. He's, like, a huge, fat chef. Guy Ferretti. Yeah, guy, yeah, guy Ferretti, <laughs> uh, and uh, he has white frames, but they just didn't look good on you. Good on me. No, yeah. I don't tough. think I could rock. See, see, Danny looks good in the green frames. I don't think I could rock anything but black frames. Mm. I'm gonna go red one day. Red? Yeah. I'm gonna do yeah. a red pair one day. Well, I mean, I'm a little, disp- I'm a little disappointed in the answer though, because I was, I was hoping the answer was gonna be like, I have. He's got like a wardrobe I mean, yeah. For these, I just bought them. Like, well, let's see if it works. And people are like, oh, nice glasses. I'm like, okay, yeah, well, there you great. go. It like, works. Checks out. Yeah. Otherwise, it was yeah, another pair of brown glasses or black glasses. Oh well. Well, this conversation means nothing to the people at home because they this is can't what they want. This is why. It. This is why they come to pod- his. Oh, his glasses are green. <laughs> Use your imagination. Your van's full of nuns. You know what you're up to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. All right. Uh, it's your time, Danny. So I have to sing. You have to sing. Wait, this is our musical interlude to the next interview. <clears throat> mm. Super giant, right? Yeah, super giant. Greg right. Kasavin. Super giant making super and giant and sometimes small games. All right. Beyond. Beyond. What's up, everybody? (laughs) Welcome to the third interview in Colin's Indie Spectacular. Mm. Colin, who have you pulled from the Indie Black Hole now? It's another Greg, Greg. Oh, there can can be only one. (gasps) 
Greg, it's another Greg. Hi. Hi, Greg. It's Greg Kasabin, everybody. Bye, Super giant. Thanks. He's here to Thank finally, you. his hands, his wrist is broken, can't clap. It's all right. Can and I'm going to break the other one if you don't start talking about Bastion <laughs> on the PS3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, we'll get there. <laughs> but, but Greg has like a, not you, Greg. Greg, Greg, Greg. Greg. Okay. Has uh, an interesting history in this industry. Yeah. He's been in this industry for a long time because he was uh, editor in chief of GameSpot. Boom! Boo. Boo. Uh, but you were, you, were, you were at GameSpot in like '96 or '97, right? And didn't yeah, leave that's when and, I started. Yeah, yeah. It didn't leave until like 2007, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and then you left to go work at EA, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, so you've been you've been banging around this industry. I yeah. think is what the kids would I say. I don't know if that's what the kids no? say. Is it? No, is that I don't, what it is? I don't know. Something wow, like that. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you you had something to do with Spec Ops as well. Yeah, right? that's right. I God bless TK. this man, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Glad you liked it. Oh, my God. I fucking love Spec Ops. So now you're with Supergiant, yeah. and you're the creative director. Yeah. Um, and so we know Supergiant from, of course, the game we never got on PlayStation yeah. Network. Bastion. Bastion. Uh, and then, of course, Transistor. Yeah, the new one. Named All after the best radios. 311 record as oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's start real quick with Bastion, just uh, because uh, I was reading a little bit about it, because I we wanted this game to come to PlayStation Network, right? so yeah. get the trophies. Yeah, so yeah. But it hasn't come to PSN, so... Uh, but it's been like everywhere else. So what? What, what is it ever going to come to PlayStation or is uh, we uh, like we don't have plans for it right now? Mm-hmm. Like we always say, you know, we haven't ruled anything out. Like if the Neo Geo makes a big comeback or whatever, I'd you know, <laughs> love to make a Neo Geo version of something. It's like yeah, we don't know. I mean, all, we're a small team, so all our fo- uh, we're we're just focused on Transistor at this point and. Beyond that, beyond it's anyone's guess. There cool. See. That's yeah. how so you work today. that in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's That's perfect. perfect. <laughs> Usually, people get mad at us when we do that in meetings. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. now every we work with on a day to day basis, they've heard it enough. Yeah, they try to avoid the word. Actually. Six, seven years later, yeah. they're like, "All right, we get it." Um, so yeah, we have Transistor now, and the Transistor's kind of been at the forefront of like PlayStation's indie push. We've been seeing a lot of this game. So, so tell us a little bit about the game if people haven't you know played you know or haven't been played but haven't seen it or seen yeah. videos screens. If you what, haven't what seen it the... yet, you're stupid. Yeah. I don't know how many packs I have to go to and tell you how great this game looks. Packs East. You had a huge line, huge yeah. line of packs. So, so you could just tell everyone about it for me. Well, it's all good. That's how it's gone so yeah. far, right? Colin's like, tell me about your early career, and then he told you your career. <laughs> and I'll tell you how good transit. No, I'm sorry, go with transistor. No, yeah, um, we, you know, th- this time around, we wanted to make a, uh, a science fiction themed game. Bastion was kind of our weird um, fantasy frontier themed action RPG, and this time around, we wanted to try our hand at like a more science fiction themed setting, and and also to take the moment to moment gameplay in this more kind of strategic direction. Um, I guess similar to Bastion, it's a little hard to describe. We like to just kind of put it in front of people and let them play it um, and experience it and see what it's all about because um, there's just kind of a – we like to throw people in at the deep end and let them learn the world of the game and so forth. But, yeah, with with the gameplay, we tried to uh, combine kind of the, the sensation of, of turn-based tactical games but in this uh, but using, like, real-time mechanics. So it's not – we don't consider it a turn-based game, but it can – it feels much more kind of deliberate um, and strategic than I think a typical action RPG. Cool. And Greg, you've you've experienced this game before. This this, this, this I watched transistor. it a lot at PAX. Okay. I mean, this is I'll tell you this is the highest compliment I could pay <laughs> is that I didn't line cut anybody. Like I came oh, up man. and I knew I know enough of you guys. Yeah. Like I got up and just watched everybody else play. But I ne- uh, kids were like, "Oh, Beyond, do you want to take this spot?" Yeah. I'm like, "No, you play." So I still haven't played Transistor, mm. but I've seen a lot of Transistor, mm. and it's I'm I'm on board. Yeah, pre order wherever you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> it looks it looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess one of the the interesting you can give really great perspective because you've been on our side of the industry, but also been with big publishers. Yeah. 
working with EA and I guess uh, 2K as yeah. well, um, and now have this kind of tinier studio where you guys kind of control your own destiny. So, what are the major differences? I mean, some of the some of them are obvious, but like, what are some of the major differences? Yeah. You know, coming into work every day. And yeah, it, it, no, it's really interesting because um, because it, it is different for sure. I think like one of the one of my favorite differences, and I, I like to put it this way because it, it I think it like characterizes both what can be good about it and what can be not necessarily good about it. There are like fewer people around to say like no to things, and and that makes a really big difference because um, you can just end up chasing certain harebrained ideas down all the way to the end of the line, and no one's going to tell you like man, you are just insane. Uh, unless you ask enough people, eventually someone will tell you. Right. Um, so that that's like that's the biggest thing is that it's just it's just us. Uh, you know, we're we're ten people now, we're seven people on Bastion, um, and we like to just get everyone together in the same room and make make decisions uh, unanimously, like not democratically. Um, uh, you know, that's that's important to us. We just have the person who's like going to have to do the work uh, is the person who gets to make the decision. Um, so communication is just a lot faster. We um, at least in my experience compared with like working at a big organization where you got to get all kinds of different people on board and, you know, plan out your budget for the next quarter and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. And uh, we're, we're just much more tactical. Um, and that keeps things moving uh, really nice and fast. Um, and I think in our case, it like helps keep morale high and yeah. And we get to just chase our own crazy ideas and see what, see what comes of it. Um, and I think, you know, we, we make the kind of games that I don't think we could have worked on in like a larger a studio environment. So, um, yeah, it's been, you, you know, thankfully Bastion was so well received for us that, um, thus far, uh, it is, it has gone really well and we just want to stick together as a team and keep going for as long as we can. Like this. Uh, so you sacrifice that bureaucracy, right? Like, of... <laughs> yes, unfortunately we must uh, <laughs> sacrifice yeah. the bureaucracy. But, but yeah. does there come a degree of like uncertainty as well, yeah, or kind yeah, of that... being scared of the, the kind of more quarter to quarter situation that can be the other side of it for sure is like you can you can certainly there can be comfort in like working with a lot of people who are smarter than you right it's like okay thank goodness this guy's here because uh, because you know we're on a good course because uh, we have all these really smart people um pushing us forward and so forth and we we know uh we know each other now and we know uh, at, at super giant like we know what our what our weaknesses are and so forth and um and yeah there could there could definitely be an uncertainty at times but we um we all grew up uh playing you know the thing we all share in common is we grew up playing games so i think our, our convictions around games are like really really strong uh probably like stubborn uh to a certain point so i think when it comes to making the games we want to make we we have a pretty um we have a we think we have a sure foot um, and then, you know, my own feeling is that as, as long as you kind of have confidence in what you're making, uh, hopefully the other pieces fall into place as well, because then you can talk about it in a in an honest way and so on and so forth. And the other pieces will will fall into place. Sure. Um, so Bastion was an, you know, an Xbox Live game. And you guys mm -hmm. got it to other platforms. Uh, didn't work with Sony on this platform uh, or this game, though. But then you, you're working somewhat intimately with Sony this time around. It's not an exclusive, but it's it's coming first, I think, right to PlayStation Four. Yeah. You'll the eventually PC bring it as well. Yeah, and so you'll bring it to other platforms. But what's it been like working with Sony, and how do they approach you? And, and you know. yeah, so they um, it's so in short, I mean, it's been awesome. They they approached so they you know along with everyone else saw the game for the first time at PAX East uh, earlier this year. What was that in March or something like that? Mm. And uh, they um, we did help them cut. <laughs> we noticed. <laughs> <laughs> helped them cut to the front but um uh several of those guys uh, came and played the game they had never you know seen or heard of it before then just like everybody because we we announced it on like tuesday and then on thursday we let everyone play it yeah. uh, that same week um and they just very 
visibly like loved it. They they just really really liked what they played in a way that uh, to us, um, you know, is it's like naturally a high compliment. These guys like play a lot of games, and um, they're I think they're just like the real deal. You know, they're not th- these are guys who like you know these guys like Adam Boys and Nick mm-hmm. Sutner and those guys. They like go home play games for fun. You know, um, and so when when they like something that we worked on, it means a lot. And they just wanted to they wanted to talk to us after the show. At that point, we. Had, we knew very little about the PS4. I guess it had been announced at that, or it had yeah, obviously February been announced. Event had yeah, happened. Had, yeah, yeah, but it's not like you guys were like yeah. in meetings yet for it. Yeah, exactly. So we we just knew as much as was revealed at that event. Um, but but at that point, uh, we started to learn a lot more. Um, and uh, at a certain point, they're like, "Would you like to come to E3 with us and show the game there and bring it to PS4?" And uh, uh, the more we thought about it, the more the more it made sense. Um, you know, on. They, the the nature of the relationship has been one of like you know them placing great faith in us to just keep doing what we're doing. Um, it's completely hands off. They're just there to support us whenever we're going to launch or whenever we want to do kind of promotional stuff around it, I guess. Um, and that that is awesome. That's like exactly what what we want, right? Um, we're we're self funded just like we were with Bastion. We just want to do it our own way and work with someone who's going to be really excited about um, the thing we're making and kind of believe in us to fulfill the the potential of it so yeah was it was it like when you had that conversation with sony and, and you guys were discussing yeah. internally about coming to playstation 4 and was it difficult for you to to you know come to the decision that you were going to work you're not like they're not publishing your game you're not an exclusive but yeah. to say like, we're going to work with these guys and make it a time exclusive was that was that difficult for you or did it, did it seem like logical um we we always wanted to bring transistor to both uh, pc and console and and with the with like the generational change happening like basically right now and you know our our transistor won't be out until early next year sometime but we knew that there would be like a new generation of consoles by the time our game came out and we knew we we just like instinctively as game players wanted to be on one um and and the ps4 just made the most sense to us for just for a bunch of different reasons um that so that was like i think it, it it is certainly um a complex decision, um, especially since we're, you know, we're a small team and we need to be like super careful about making these kinds of decisions because they can, they can make or break you, um, as, as a small studio. Like if you, if you place the wrong bet on the wrong platform or whatever, and like, that's where your game comes out and no one buys it, you're, you're dead. All right. So we had to have a certain amount of faith, uh, you know, reciprocally in that, uh, that the PS4 is going to do well, but, um, er- you know, everything, Sony had been saying sort of publicly about it was like consistent with what how they were speaking to us so we we were sort of or all just speaking for myself I was I was very pleased to see that the way they would talk to us and you know internally was it was very consistent with the message they were projecting um to the outside world about you know you know everything from the value they place on uh, independent developers to just trying to be a very good and like open developer friendly platform um, where they're like, hey, you need development kits, we'll hook you up. You know, you need controllers, we'll hook you up, and whatever it's going to take to to make it easy for you to to get your game up and running on on our machine. And then the machine uh, seems uh, very powerful and has all this cool stuff. It's like we we just we just liked it at that point and uh, and wanted to wanted to give it a shot. Cool. You talk about you know that they're so open to helping you and basically whatever you need yeah. right there for you, and that you know you eventually f- discover that it's not lip service that they're actually really they really care about all this right. stuff. What do you think 
changed. You know what I mean? I, I was um, on a podcast this weekend and somebody was asking me, you know, well, is this just a business move? Is that why they – and I'm like, well, clearly it's a business move, but there's something yeah. there as well. So I think, like, I I think the simplest answer um, is – and it's a really good question. I think the simplest answer is the people um, changed, and it's like um, – and, and I've named, you know, a couple of them earlier. Um, some of those guys have been there for a long time now. Um, yeah, but, it's been there a while. Yeah. Shane. Um, yeah, Shane. Uh, um, even uh, Adam has been there, I guess, close to two years now yeah, probably. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but uh, so th- although some of those people have been there for a while, they weren't there, you know, at the last launch. Sure. Um, so they weren't um, – but but so now I think they have a combination of, like, experience within the institution um, but also this this real drive and passion to, like, help this thing succeed. And, like, I don't know if they're going to – you know, now we have some vested interest in their success, I suppose. It's like we, we – uh, well, we want every platform to succeed. Sure. You want to um, make money, you monster. We, you know, <laughs> the, more, the more – yeah, it's like the more healthy platforms there are, the better. Right? Sure. It's better like, for the ecosystem, better for the industry. Exactly. Yeah. It really, it really, really is. So and, – and there's plenty of room for many of them to succeed, I think. It's like they – we don't want the world where there's only one uh, that, that is dominant. Um, but yeah, these guys, I think there's like enough of a group, like a large enough group of these guys that just really want this, uh, are really passionate about these kinds of games, um, and see this, uh, see this opportunity that, that they're making it happen. They're, they're rattling the cages over there and they're getting on the phone. They're pursuing these games that they, you know, personally like. Um, I think the other, the other answer, you know, beyond the people is that obviously Sony's circumstances have changed somewhat compared to, uh, the, you know, those of us who are, Old, like grizzled enough to have been around <laughs> the, the last time there was a console generation. It's like Sony is on very, uh, frankly, on pretty different footing going yeah. into this generation than they were uh, with the PS3. No, we talked about that at length, the right? World. The fact that they, you know, had such hubris coming into the PlayStation 3, right? 599 US dollars, and you'll get a second job. And you know, now the, you know the February event was totally like, hey guys. No more sell. Let's make it super easy for you to get your games yeah. over here. We're not going to put this expensive price tag on it. Let's get it to everybody. Like, I think they learned a lot of lessons from PS3. Yeah, and and another thing that I think is interesting, it's maybe it's a shame that the idea of like games as your focus is not a no-brainer strategy. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, I think Sony is is pursuing that in in like a in like a sincere way. You know, number one, they're just trying to be the best dedicated game system right. and they want to do all this other stuff yeah 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 but yeah. but first and foremost is is the game side of it and uh that message you know well i, I i'm anxious to see how well that works out but certainly those of us who've been playing games a long time i think that's kind of music to our ears especially when um we see that, that, that it's not like you said it's not just lip service and they're really yeah. trying yeah. to make it happen so yeah that's all um i i'm i'm certainly rooting for them um i'm rooting for a lot of uh, platforms these days, but you know that is, uh, but they they are they are one of them, um, and yeah, it's it's been it's been fun you know developing for it and having having that kind of support from them. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, you come from the the, the media angle, so yeah. you probably are maybe even a little more in tune than most developers in terms of what people are saying and know how to find that information. One of the things that I noticed after Gamescom, we were talking about it with some of the other folks that have been on the podcast, is. This almost indie backlash that happened after Gamescom with PlayStation 4 in particular, where I was like, where are the big games? Like, Indie Station, we want to see God of War, where is, mm-hmm. you know, Uncharted. What's, Drake, and, what's and, Drake know, doing over there? And I'm wondering, like, how you respond to that uh, in terms of, the, do people just not get that this is where the industry is going and that uh, you can have the best of both worlds? Or 
Yeah, so that's an interesting uh, yeah, so I hadn't um I hadn't seen that point specifically, but it makes I mean it makes a lot of sense in the like I think it is speaking to how the the whole like game industry ecosystem has changed and and I like I understand that people want more of these like awesome AAA ga- you know, again, if you compare directly to like when the PS3 was announced or something like that, there's this like onslaught of these AAA games um, there's like what was it? Um, you know, Motor Storm. Yeah, Resistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Resistance and all, all this kind of stuff. Like, all these amazing, spectacular games. And, like, the the fact of the matter is there are, like, way fewer big studios now than there were, um, you know, six or seven years ago when these last consoles are coming out. And, like, I mean, that's, you could even go six or seven months ago. <laughs> yeah. No, no, over the last two or three years, yeah. there's been there's been huge, like, like, contraction in the industry. And all but, all but these you know, massive, like, internal Ubisoft and IDOS or mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm. Um, and some of these other, like, really talented studios like Naughty Dog. Like, a lot of the a lot of the other guys just don't exist anymore. Um, and in their place, um, a lot more of these small independent studios have risen up. So I think, like, you even see it physically when you go to E3 or something like that. There's just, like, fewer companies on the show floor. There's no more THQ. They used to have, like, a massive E3 presence. Like, 2K is obviously still around, but they didn't even... You know, 2K and Nintendo, it's like, bowed out of E3. That is yeah. crazy. Um, so, or N- Nintendo was there. They just didn't have their press conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but still, it's like you, you're seeing evidence of how uh, the industry is being shaken up and, and those kind of actions, I think. Um, so, you know, indie games are, um, for better or worse, what what is there uh, in the absence of, like, all the go- gods of war that you may want and so <laughs> forth. Um, and thankfully, you know, in, in, in my opinion, there's a ton of really amazing stuff there. Um, it's it's not the same as, like, your massive, you know, AAA production. But I think, like, among those big AAA games, so few of them succeed anymore that it's only it's only natural, I guess, what's, what's happening. I'm glad that there's a silver lining uh, because for a while there it looked really bleak, I thought, as studios were just yep. straight up shutting down. And people were just like leaving the industry in mass, but um, they're they're finding these new opportunities to do their own thing. Yeah, it's the silver lining twofold, I think, almost where it's there are more games, uh, like people can land on their feet and go from a big publisher or developer like you did to to making you know equally as good games or even better games in a smaller team, and I think that's great. But I don't, I just didn't understand it because we were seeing a lot of it. And I wanted to kind of get your perspective on it, which is we didn't, you know, I, I look at it as positive too. A lot of the great games, like we voted for Journey. Yeah. For Game of the Year last year. Now, that's kind of like a nebulous independent game because Sony had them inside Sony Santa Monica and they funded the game. But still, they're a small team. Yeah, it's still a tiny team yeah. in comparison to, like, the typical, yeah, the typical triple Danny was talking about so. indie spirit, right? And that's right. definitely what they had. Yeah, yeah. And I can't believe that your team is that small. I had no idea that you guys were that. That's actually, Transistor's actually a pretty impressive game for 10 people to make. Yeah. Um, so, w- do we have a release date or a timing on, on Transistor? Uh, ju- just early next year is, is just as, as close as we can, <laughs> yeah, as close as we can a- approximate for now. Yeah. Okay. We don't have an exact date nailed down. All right, cool. Well, thank you for joining us. That yeah, was a lot of, of fun. Um, and uh, you have to sing us. Oh yeah, the next yeah, segment. yeah. So oh yeah, God. so it's it's gonna be uh, drag the Dragon Fantasy guys are up next. How do I sing? How how does one? How how do I sing? You what just, is uh, this thing I it's made? It's just like a jingle. Yeah, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Five you know, seconds long. Your favorite Queen song. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Your favorite Queen song. Who doesn't have a favorite Queen song? That's a good. That's a good point. Dragon Fantasy by Muteki that was a lovely song, though. Greg Kazavin, mm-hmm. quite the singing voice. He's a multi-talented man. He is. He's an OG, actually, in this industry. Yeah, I know. Writing, writing reviews. Mm-hmm. Then he goes and makes games. Mm-hmm. Then he comes here and just 
docile tones left and right on podcast. Oh, no doubt about it. So, so, Greg, what's up next is a, a game and a developer kind of close to my heart as an old school JRPG fan. Oh. It's techie. Uh, we have Brian Soller and Adam Rippon here. It's Rippon, right? Is yeah. It Rip, yeah. I don't know. Rippon? Rippon. Rippon? Just Rippon. 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 Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you guys are from Muteki, uh, right? Is that I saying that right? Muteki, yes. yes. Has anybody told you guys, guys all your names and companies too hard to pronounce? Yes. yes. They probably have, look yeah. into that. You get Sawyer. Uh, I get Rippon. And uh, well, we've had Mutekai several times. Mutekai, yes. Mute key. Yeah, mute key. That's actually like And the sad thing is when you just say Muteki, it rolls off the tongue. It's almost sensual Muteki. Mutekai. No, no. Mutekai would be like thinking about it too much. Yeah, yeah. But Dragon Fantasy Book One was a game that we, you and I had been talking on on email for a while, right? About, about we did, yeah, we did. about about various games and Colin's talking to Brian and yeah, Brian. By the way, sorry. <laughs> hey, I'm yeah, Brian. We're not, That's we're not, Brian. We're not using our camera today. Uh, and uh, we we you know it resonated with me that game because it was a, a good old school JRPG. But there's actually like a sad kind of story about this whole series, right? That that you know about, about where it came from. Can you kind of mm-hmm. tell the listeners about? End it on a high note. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think I think I honestly think this is. Like a super touching story, so oh, yeah. well. Um, Be inspirational, Adam. I, I will. I will. Uh, so, Dragon Fantasy is a game that that Brian and I started designing when we were kids, um, and one of the characters who was in it was uh, based on my father. Every character in the game is based on somebody I know, and um, you know, we we worked on it as as kids for a long time, and it ended up getting us jobs in the industry, and uh, that was it. You know, we 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 worked on it for many years as kids, and then got employed and called it a day um and then uh you know we'd been in the industry for i don't know 10 11 years or something at the time and uh we're the old guys now yeah (laughs) i'm bald uh well balding um and uh my dad uh passed away and my dad was a you know a ceramicist a sculptor you know he had art in museums across the country and you know, he'd really made a name for himself, and I had worked on Little Nicky for Game Boy Color, you know, which <laughs> was awesome. A choice yeah. Game Boy Color <laughs> hey, game. Yeah, you, you got, got to shove shovels. Oh, please, Adam, yes, take yeah. it. Yeah, we were about to say the same thing. It would have been great if it was, you know, simultaneous. Uh, you got to shove pineapples up Hitler's ass. That was pretty cool, um, amongst other things. Shining pinnacle of gaming. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but still, you know, I'd never done my thing. And, um, you know, a few months later on my dad's birthday, I actually got robbed at gunpoint and I was up all night just freaking out. And, uh, I'd been working on, on, you know, this like spreadsheet thing, um, for our internal engine. And I figured, you know, how am I going to fill this spreadsheet out to test it? Cause I was up all night and I was like, I'm just going to work, you know, cause I figured someone was going to come after me, you know, just adrenaline like crazy and in order to fill out the spreadsheet uh cells uh i just put some tiles in there and i started making maps and then by like you know four o'clock in the morning i had most of an rpg it was about as far (laughs) as we'd ever gotten as kids um over months and months of work we were horrible no very bad programmers oh my god i could tell you some terrifying stories (laughs) but um excuse me that's um, all right. Yeah, you can edit. We all, out. we we won't. No, we no, often no. start and do goes. all sorts of things this on the podcast. Podcast, so. be yeah. honest. The, yeah. <laughs> how are the number one PlayStation podcasts? I'll never know. Don't worry, you're in good company here. Excellent. Well, next time I'll burp louder. Um, Embrace it. So yeah, you know, 
then the next day, I uh, I kept working on it, but I kept working on it in secret because our rule was no RPGs. So, so to go back to when we were younger, we he said, you know, we tried to make this game. No, 13 revisions starting from scratch over the course of six or seven six years. Or seven years yeah. All horribly failures. Just it was it was bad. We were we didn't know what we were yeah. doing, and we were you know high school kids thinking, hey, how hard can it be to make Chrono Trigger despite not knowing how to program? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, our rule in the company had been no RPGs. Um, we'll make everything but RPGs. So I worked on it in secret for about I think about two weeks, um, and then uh, the day that I added the doors and treasure chests. Which I happen to know was 16 days after, because I looked at the, uh, the the timestamp in the source code. Sorry, I wanted to tell Brian. That's okay. <laughs> um, I looked at the timestamp in the source code the other day, and it was the 16th of April, uh, 2011. And um, then I told him, I said, "Hey, I want you to know, uh, I made an entire role playing game. We just have to put more stuff in it." And, and he looked at it, and he was like, "Oh God, oh Jesus." <laughs> Well, to be fair, that was before I looked at it, but then I, I sat and it, it was just kind of, you know, I saw his, his dad, and keep in mind, I knew his father, and, yeah. you know, we weren't best buds, but I've hung out with him a few times, and he was a cool guy, and so I saw his dad walking around this map, and it was just like, ah, damn it, Adam, now we have to make this, and so, <laughs> history was made. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, uh, the character of Ogden is based on my dad, whose name was Tom. Ogden is actually just a town my mom lived in when she was a kid. Um, and uh, so Ogden became the main character of the story. Originally, he was just kind of a side character, but, you know, I rewrote a little bit. And, um, you know, we worked on the game to make it, like, not the RPG we always wanted to make, but just an RPG we always wanted to make. With book one, we, we, we aimed fairly low we said we'll make it an 8-bit game and if it does well at all we'll eventually go 16-bit mm. and it did pretty well you know not not super great but well enough that it was you know worth our time and um so with book two we built a much much bigger game and it's it's actually pretty much the game i wanted to build when i was a kid nice. uh, and you know the fact that it's a tribute to my father Makes me very happy. I wish he could have seen it. You know, I wish I'd started on it. You know, not several months after his death. Several months before would have been nice, right? Um, but you know, I feel like he's probably watching or something. I mean, if I'd worked on it before he passed away, he would have worked on the game with me. I know he would have. You know, he was an artist, and yeah, cool. So, so other than you, know, you have this emotional attachment to this game, and you guys kind of put it out, but. There's something more overt about it, which is the title, like Dragon Fantasy. I assume this is a, 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 an illusion of Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy, yeah, yeah. Uh, which are the major inspirations, at least for Book One. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious. Uh, I think I think it's very Dragon Quest specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, very much. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and in a good way because uh, I, I absolutely adore those games. Um, so what you said the game did you know moderately well. I mean, what was the response you got from hardcore RPG fans that kind of feel like? You know, they're, they're, they have more Western RPGs kind of shoved down their throats these days mm-hmm. and open world games. But this was so this was so old school and so it right by the book. With- blatantly retro. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and to the degree where we, we kind of came up with this line of, you know, we should have made it 8-bit as people remember it instead of 8-bit how it really was. Because games were mean back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were 
not the most fun at times. They were grindy. They were slow. There was no such thing as a quick save or a checkpoint. Mm, right. And so we just decided, you know, we're just going to be true and faithful to this. And Although we did have quick save. We, we did add quick save because it was originally out on mobile. And, you know, nothing's worse than getting a phone call from someone and losing hours You just killed me in this play. dungeon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it took me seven hours to get there. I blame you. Um, so, you know, we wanted to be really retro. And we kind of got... The majority of people actually loved it. Um, we got a lot of great feedback from mm-hmm. people. They were just like, you know, thank you for making this. They don't make games like this. And then, well, the other people were all like, yeah, there's a reason for that. Because, <laughs> like I said, no, it was Jerks. it was like I said, blatantly retro. It was mean at times. It, really it was. was grindy. Mm-hmm. You had to do the thing where you just kind of walk around the town until mm-hmm. you have enough gold to buy all the gear. <laughs> Before yep. you can go on over the bridge, because you know as soon as you cross, cross that the, bridge, the first enemy's going to kill you. It was awesome. It really, really just reeked of Dragon Quest One, especially, and I loved it. Like I, I, the, the bridge thing, like it brought back mental images. I mean, you you don't really, you didn't really play RPGs when you were a kid, no, right? Like, a kid. so in Dragon Quest games, like there were bridges in like certain territories where, like, immediately when you walked over this bridge into another area, like the enemies would just be. It would be mostly palette swaps, but the enemies would be like much harder. Like suddenly, like just destroy you, and you like you're. That was the game telling you, like, don't go in that direction yet. You're but, not ready. Yeah, like you're not yeah, ready to yeah, go yeah, yeah, there yeah. yet. But like there would be nothing else. Like you could just – you could. And <laughs> and uh, I was expecting to see like Goldman or, you know, Wolf <laughs> or like Slime show up at any moment in the game. And uh, uh, so that game was really cool and it was really hard. One critique about it, the evade rates on the enemy is too high, I thought. Yeah. But but did you guys get that feedback, by the we, way? We did we eventually did. change it. We ev- uh, yeah. Oh, okay. We actually went back and we tweaked the uh, hit and miss rates because – People just can't hang these days, I guess. No. <laughs> You're worse, Colin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, things have changed since I was a kid playing on these, any, you know, these NES games. Um, but yeah, that, but otherwise, like, I, I loved it and I was really into it. And it was funny too because I went in the game out of order and actually did something that I wasn't supposed to do first. I can't remember exactly what it was, and then I didn't know. It was like something was hidden. You had to go like find what was it a. a God, oh, you didn't play the game. <laughs> I know. You keep uh, looking at me. I'm like, oh. God, I wish I could find what it was. Like, I was so confused. I had to go find, like, a strategy guide to help me. Like, what like what I missed. It, brought, it just brought me back. You don't have those kinds of games anymore. Mm-mm. And then at E3, right, we see, you know, I run into I run into you guys at E3. You guys are showing Dragon Fantasy Book 2. We um, Which I gave an award to as uh, one of the best Vita games at the show. Yes, we oh, were. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. yes, yes. We still have that hanging on our whiteboard right under the epic drawing of the science pope. Yeah. <laughs> You should send us a picture of the science pope so we can we can we can maybe include that in the article. Oh, we we'll get that, on yeah. that. Uh, so uh, what I liked about this game was so you know the idea always was to jump from eight bit to sixteen bit, right? To do uh, a really traditional NES style game and then do a, a more traditional Fantasy Star Chrono Trigger kind of game, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it really was impressive to me. It it, it was very Chrono Trigger like. So what kind of response are you getting from critics and, and users now? Yeah, you want me to go? Go, please. Oh, all right. You. Um, well, we've been getting pretty good reviews. Uh, you know, people have definitely been enjoying it. Um, we've, uh, I'm trying to think of some specific examples of what people have said, but, you know, things like it really does, you know, capture that, that feel of, of, of Chrono Trigger and other older RPGs, but I mean, newer than 8-bit ones, Super Nintendo. Um, somebody said we have something like I, I'm paraphrasing, but they said it looks like the best Super Nintendo game ever, um, which I really, really liked that because, <laughs> you know, I, I did uh, a lot of the, the background art, and Kevin James, our art director, did a lot of the uh, the sprites, 
I, I have to. I think the most awesome thing we got though was somebody actually made us a uh, trophy out of duct tape. And oh yeah, yeah. Us. Somebody made us a awesome. duct tape trophy. Awesome. And uh, another guy made a uh, um, uh, like a Ogden character in 3D Dot Heroes, which I loved that game. Yeah, that game, that game is that awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So seeing that, I was just like, oh, that's so freaking cool. And um, you know, fan art is like amazing you know I, it's that thing that makes it it makes that. it all feel worth yeah. it <laughs> somebody made a, a like a comic strip of, of sock monsters and they were applying for the job and it was a typo it's supposed to be rock monsters I, it was really funny um in a in a magnificently stupid way um, <laughs> and uh you know when i saw that i was just like oh i've made it sock monsters yeah Cool. People care enough about us to mock us. We're in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and it's the idea to do a third one now, right? Like, is that what you guys want to do? Like a more 32-bit style At some wild point, arms? I think we kind of said, like, you know, we started with 8-bit NES, and we kind of said, like, well, if we're going to keep making this, let's kind of, like, trace the trajectory of the JRPG. So mm-hmm. even in book one, like, the first chapter was, like, hardcore Dragon Quest 1, Dragon Warrior 1, one guy, one monster, and we kind of even uh, added features. There you go. There you Own go. it. Yeah. Beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Mr. Adam Rippon. Um, so as we kind of progressed through book one, we added more newer features. It's like, it's a later NES game now. And then with book two, we very much went, like, Super Nintendo era. Uh, we kind of joked that if, you know, we decide to come back and make the third one, it's going to be, like... The N64 RPG we never had, or yeah, don't make it anything like Quest 64. Please. No, no, I, don't worry. No don't Quest 64. I don't acknowledge that game. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've been fooling around with uh, with models for the characters, and um, you know we're not like in development yet on it because um, I, I don't want to like say biting Final Fantasy VII, but you know the big old like Popeye armed models and stuff, yeah, only yeah. not horribly anti-aliased and low res. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not horribly unanti-aliased, I think you mean. <laughs> yeah, that. that. Words. Um, just regular aliased. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know it's something we're working on a little bit, but it's not really in development right now because we all need vacations. We yeah. need them so Work badly. all the time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and then more than that, death. we're actually – we've been very focused on – you know, since the launch of Book Two, just kind of taking whatever bug reports we've been getting, whatever feedback, and we actually have – already put out one patch and we have another patch that should be going live this week maybe today mm-hmm. even um so we're kind of at the point now where it's like we're just trying to make book two as perfect as we can so yeah. before we really kind of say now let's start something new again yeah yeah i'm i'm in no rush to start anything <laughs> cool so uh dragon fantasy book one comes out on ios first right you guys kind of get this this going right it's available yes, on yes. phones and tablets and how did Sony approach you and kind of get you guys to bring the game to PS3 and PS Vita? So that was actually kind of funny. Um, long before that even came out, I went. I was a speaker at some little tiny conference called like Indie Games Conference West, and there was a panel by a couple of the guys about this new thing Sony was doing called the Pub Fund. And so I talked to the guys at the office about that, and we we're like, "Yeah, that's kind of cool. We should think about that." Fast forward like two years later. Um, Adam and Bill, who's not here, but Bill, we love you. He's our office producer, janitor. Thanks for coming in, Bill. Yeah. Go flack yourself. <laughs> Do you guys allow ham. pit bulls on the, yes. on the podcast? Bill, Bill comes complete with dog. So, <laughs> so anyways, uh, Adam and Bill went out to PAX East with uh, book one and then the very first ever showing of book two. Like It had been in development like three months maybe at that point. 
And so they were showing that, and it was kind of funny. So this guy from Sony named Shane happens upon their booth and talks to Bill and is like, this is kind of cool. You should talk to us. And a week later, I'm at GDC, and I'm like back at some Sony talk about pub fun, and I talk to this guy named Ted there, and they're like, oh, yeah, we should talk. And then they realized like a week later that Shane had already told Ted that they should talk to us also, and it kind of was this perfect little culmination of happenstance. I don't know. Perfect. Yeah. That's Shane Bettenhouse. He gets everywhere. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he, he does. does. He's, yeah. he gets he's an awesome guy. So so basically it's that you got the pub funder, just Sony interested in the second game, and then it was kind of the prerequisite that you must get the first well, game on. That three. wasn't even them. That was on us. They they looked at book two and was like, yeah, you know, we'll pub fund this. And we're like, cool, let's do that. But then I was just – we actually did a blog post before last PAX Prime mm-hmm. announcing the game officially for PS3 and Vita and – the comments were resounding like, I'd love to play this game, but I need to play the first one, and I hate playing games on phones, or I don't have an iPhone or an Android phone, which means I, I don't know what they use. <laughs> Motorola Razor. <laughs> Still a hot phone. <laughs> exactly. Cool. So um, it was really uh, – the impetus yeah. was on you guys. So it was just – I was just like, you know what? Okay, then we're going to go ahead and push back book two a little bit and get book one out first. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um so, and that experience, I guess, has been, you know, pub fun. We talk about, you know, with Drinkbox, for instance, mm-hmm. the guys make guacamole about pub fun. We've, you know, uh, that's been a pretty positive experience for you because it basically lets you do what you want with the game once you hit a certain sales goal or whatever, right? Yeah, I guess real quick, explain pub fun. Okay, okay. Who so, don't know, who weren't at GDC. So basically what the pub fund is, is Sony says, we're going to guarantee you a check for this much money. Um, so we still self-funded development. We are completely in control of the game. We own everything. The basic rule is when that game launches 45 days later, we're going to get a check for the agreed-upon amount. And then once our sales exceed that amount, we get all of our money like we were never pub fund, like we're just anybody else. Um, And basically what they do is they're guaranteeing us money, taking some of the risk out of it for us. So no matter what, we knew we were going to make at least a certain amount of money. And, you know, the only thing they ask is that you release it on their platforms first and you give them a little bit of exclusivity period. Cool. So uh, will you guys – do you guys want to bring Dragon Fantasy to other platforms, or are you guys kind of really just focused on maybe doing something else? Uh, we're probably, you know, we want to put everything everywhere. Um, we are big fans of people's money. I'm the business guy from the company, so Adam's like shaking his head, crying right now. But no, seriously, I mean, what we do is art. <laughs> exactly. No, uh, we want to put it everywhere just because we want everyone to get to play our games, and we've had a lot of outcry like from the 3DS community, and like all four people who bought Wii U's were like, is it ever going to come out? <laughs> Adam being one of the four. Yeah. Um, so day one. book one's been on just about everything, yeah. and so we're probably going to keep that up. Book two, obviously, is Sony exclusive for a while, and mm-hmm. we're you know pretty happy with Sony. They've just been amazing, so well, I, I doubt we're going to be like, oh, we're a Sony-only studio. We're definitely going to be making sure everything we do gets on Sony, just because they've been so awesome to work with. Yeah, cool. So you're not going to be the next Sucker Punch, the next uh, Naughty Dog. <laughs> eh, maybe when I get their money, we'll think about it. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've been, you know, I've been working on bringing the Dragon Fantasy One. Uh, we updated it a lot for PlayStation Network, and I've been working on bringing it back to all the other platforms we supported in the past, and working on one new platform in particular uh, today, which should I talk about or should I keep that in my hat for now? Keep it on your hat. It's close. Yeah. All right. I am wearing a Lame. hat right now. Just Filthy so tees, both of you. Yep. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, you know, Dragon Fantasy Book 1, um, will I'll be bringing it back to all the other platforms with all the updates pretty soon. So, cool. Uh, in fact, I think we're planning on, on releasing... 
you know, submitting the first build uh, for iOS and Mac for of the new version today. So uh, hopefully that'll get done. Cool. Um, well, I, I highly recommend Dragon Fantasy Book One to uh, anyone with the mental and intestinal fortitude <laughs> uh, that come from the old school and want to play those games because those games were formidable for me, and I think they probably were for you too. The Dragon, you know, Dragon Quest and or Dragon Warrior as we knew it. Yeah, Dragon for, Warrior One uh, was the first game I ever got in trouble playing. Why? Because uh, I stayed up too late, and these were the early days. Well, I guess they were the late '80s, but it was the early days of my gaming youth. And I remember I stayed up past my bedtime to beat the Dragon Lord, and I called my friend to celebrate, and his mom yelled at me on the phone for calling after 8 p.m. <laughs> and then she called my mom, and my mom yelled at me for calling someone after 8 p.m. and not being in bed. I can only remember ever getting in trouble. I got in trouble because I stayed home for like three days from school when Crown Trigger came out, and I totally had a cold. Um Adam, the finger quotes don't work so well on a podcast. Yeah, but you could tell by the cadence. Quote, yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I <laughs> the cadence crap. of my voice gave it away. You, yeah, can, yeah. you can imagine them in your mind's mm-hmm, eye. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, th- that game just really resonated with me. So I think that, and we have a lot of old school JRPG fans that are enjoying the renaissance of JRPGs right now with Tales of Exilia, for instance, mm-hmm. um, and, and other such games, or even even more beat 'em up games like Dragon's Crown. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a game you guys want to keep an eye on. And I'm still, you know, I still have long ways to go in, in book two because uh, we have the problem here of too many games to play, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good problem for everyone else, but not Poor a good man, problem for us. they shipped you <laughs> off the TGS. <laughs> <laughs> we feel for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, going to Japan. Yeah, TGS was, uh, it's, it's bi- I'm telling you, it's all work. It's very busy. It's very busy. You see a lot of things and it's but cool, but you, you don't, don't want to drink where that was, drink. You just have to drink the drink. <laughs> Colin, where was your hotel again? Uh, Tokyo Disney. Tokyo, it sounds like a really <laughs> oh, hard, yeah, real hard day out there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, look at all the content I wrote, bro. Uh, and actually, when I was in uh, Akihabara, I, I almost bought all the Dragon Quest games because they, uh, they were uh, they're so cheap there. Mm-hmm. That uh, I was with Jeremy Parrish, who works at US Gamer. Uh, really nice guy. Yeah, really great guy. Um, and uh, he was just like, you know, I'm like they're so cheap. They're so cheap because we're so used to these old cartridges being. You know, you see, uh, uh, you know. Uh, like Chrono, not even Chrono Trigger, but you see like you know Secret of Evermore or something, and it's like a fucking fortune to buy this game. And you mm-hmm. see those games over there, and they're five dollars, you know. And he's mm-hmm. like, these are the Madden Genesis games of Japan, <laughs> yeah. you know? and it's totally true. Like you could buy Dragon Dragon Quest One on on Famicom for three dollars. So it's yeah. funny you say Madden. We actually, uh, oh yeah, we gutted a bunch of Madden Super Nintendo carts and converted that to our original press kit for Book Two. That's awesome. We replaced the innards with a USB key to give them purpose in That's life. That's awesome. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, nice they, Super Nintendo ish label. Yeah, so I, I've been really enjoying these more old-school press kits that Capcom have been doing, too, with Mega Man 9 mm-hmm. and, uh, and DuckTales Duck yeah. uh, that were pretty cool, too. So I like keep that, keep that old-school spirit alive. That's why I like you guys. You got that old-school spirit inside you. One more question before we go, Greg. Okay. What does the future hold for your company? And, and uh, can, you, know, you, you alluded to a project that you can't talk about or a platform that was mm-hmm. used PlayStation 4 that you can't talk about, but uh, is the, are you going to make more RPGs? Do you want to do something else? I think at some point we'll probably come back and make more RPGs. I think other than, you know, like I said, trying to wrap up what we're finishing with Book 2 and various platform editions and whatnot, I think we're probably going to do something different next just because we've spent the last three years of our lives making RPGs and it might be nice to do something different for a little bit before we come back to the genre. Talk about random encounters and palace-swapped enemies. It's, it's probably a little mind-taxing. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys for, for joining us. We appreciate it. Greg, do you want do you want the, them to sing a song? Well, yeah, we got the wrap up. Okay.
Uh, so Brian and Adam will sing a song of their choosing, a length of their choosing, and since we don't have another game to tease, they can sing about whatever they want. Us. Yeah, yeah. So do we you, make you, up you, a song? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. You, you, you get to think of it right now. You guys can you can powwow in your little huddle. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Podcast Beyond, episode 312. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for coming in. Thank you to all the guests. Uh, remember, podcasts are fun and whatnot, but IGN.com keeps the lights on and the mics working. So go there, read the articles, watch the videos, and subscribe to Prime while you're at it. What does it matter, right? Here's the thing. If you are a Prime member, Colin, guess, get this. Next week, starting on Tuesday, the first 2,000 people who try to redeem the code get rain on the PSN for free. Nice. That's that game's supposed to be rad. Yeah, I, look, looking I forward to reading the reviews today. It actually looks amazing. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah, it yeah. is cool. We, we played a little bit, but I'm, I'm, i got to jump into that one. Yeah. Me too. Uh, remember, you're always a part of the show, except for this show when you weren't part of it at all. But what we want you to do is email <laughs> beyond.ign.com with your questions and song submissions. Then follow us all on Twitter, IGN's IGN. I'm Game Over Greggy. Colin has no taxation. Guys, what are your Twitter handles? Uh, I am B. Soller. He's very creative with that. And I'm the Adam Rippon. I like that. That's good. That's, a little That's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm uh, super creative. I put every a preposition in front of it. Podcast Beyond ends with a song and a segment we call Ryan's Wrap Up. Today it's it's Brian <laughs> Brian and Adam. What do you what do you got for us? <laughs> oh jeez. Do we do do we get a moment to to think yeah. here? Sure, go ahead. All right. Should I sing like in a you know in a beautiful man voice or should I you know like you know, go I, all I gravelly? Think, I think Waitstow? the podcast Beyond wants to hear your beautiful man voice, Adam. My beautiful man voice. <laughs> uh, let me think. Um, Improv and sing a song just about yeah. About Dragon Fantasy Book. Dragon Fantasy Book Two. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. We usually you know, start you know, laughing in the middle of it and yeah. stops. Oh well, <laughs> uh, my wife's a musician though; she'll be mad at me. Um, and oh God, um, let me think. Dragon Fantasy. We could beatbox. <laughs> it usually helps sometimes no. if somebody yeah. puts down a beat. Um, Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> Come on, lay down a fat beat. I, I can't do the no. beat. Can you do the beat? You do the beatbox. I, I can do the Adam. beatbox. Uh, you do the beatbox. <laughs> there once was a man named Ogden who lived in West. The queen died. No shit. I don't even know what I'm talking about here. This is the worst song ever. Beyond! Did you say the queen died? Beyond, beyond, beyond. The queen did not die. The queen lived. <laughs> Nothing bad happened to the queen ever, except for in the beginning. Ah. Oh. Uh, 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 uh,